Welcome to the B2B Content Show, a podcast about the how, what, and why of B2B content marketing. I'm Jeremy Shear, and I'm really excited that in this episode, my guest is Jody Katchi, VP of Content Strategy and Growth Marketing at Mediafly. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. I'm excited. Well, so start just by telling us, give us like the, you know, 30 second kind of overview of who you are and, you know, what you're all about and, and your role at Mediafly. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as you mentioned, I'm the VP of Content Strategy and Growth Marketing. Um, I've been with the company for about four and a half years now. I've been doing the content strategy and execution at Mediafly since I started four and a half years ago. Um, I've been in the B2B tech space for a little over a decade now. Just say just a few words about Mediafly. Yeah, so um, Mediafly offers a data-driven sales enablement platform. So we're helping not just sellers, but the entire revenue team coach, predict, assess, and execute across the customer journey. So if you think about a traditional sales enablement platform, you might get content management and delivery, some basic content analytics, and maybe some learning management, depending on the platform you pick. And these solutions are kind of built to do exactly what they say. They enable sellers. Um, our Revenue 360 platform is a little different. So we combine four solutions. Engagement 360 gives you the content management and delivery, interactive content, and these other tools to create personalized content experiences. We have Coach 360 for sales training and conversation intelligence, Value 360 for value selling tools, Intelligence 360 for all of your analytics. So that includes content engagement, forecasting, pipeline management, all of the good stuff that you need. And the platform really includes all the sales, marketing, and customer success tools that your team needs to break down data silos and really give you a complete view of the buyer journey with those prescriptive recommendations that are going to make your team more efficient and effective at closing deals. Let's dive into our topic today. And, you know, I don't know if we're technically in a recession or not. It sure <laughs> kind of feels like we are, you know, wh whether whether or not the, you know, our, our leadership is willing to admit it. But in any case, the economy seems not to be in super great shape, right? Inflation is certainly high. And every day, right. especially in the tech sector, it seems like more people are getting laid off. And mm -hmm. so, you know, there, there are definitely troubling signs in the economy. And when the economy goes a little bit sideways, it's often marketing that gets chopped down a little bit, right? The C-suite might look and say, okay, how can we, how can we cut costs a little bit? And, and marketing is often in the crosshairs, right? First of all, you know, how do you feel about that? It seems like that often happens, but you know, I've talked to a lot of people, especially marketers are bound to say like, well, that might, a lot of people might assume that, but that's actually not a good idea. That's, that's the wrong thing to do. Like, where do you, where do you fall on that? Yeah. So I think that's, a, it's I mean, as a marketer, I obviously don't want to lose my job. Yeah. Well, I feel like I'm a little biased, but I mean, your marketing team plays such a huge role in helping your, your team close deals and contributing to revenue. And I, I think cutting marketing is a horrible idea. You know, during a recession or a downturn, marketers are still responsible for generating demand and sellers are still responsible for closing deals, right? And what do you need to do both of those things? You need content. So I think marketing, you know, and specifically content marketing is so important, especially in an economic downturn. I think the most recent stat I've seen is buyers consume roughly 13 pieces of content from each vendor before they make a purchase decision. So we live in a world where everyone's digital and distracted. You know, 
Now budgets are tight, options are plenty. The content that your marketers are creating needs to be attention grabbing, compelling, and you need to make sure it differentiates you. And I, I mentioned, you know, we offer interactive content services. We actually did a, an analysis of our customers' content analytics over the last two years. And we found that customers who are using this interactive content, the animated explainer videos, interactive presentations, tools for video and screen reporting, they're seeing way higher engagement than companies that are using these traditional static content formats. So I think, if anything, you need to empower your marketers during this time to do more and optimize. I mean, why do you think it is that marketing often does get cut during hard times, you know, given the, the, the argument that, that you just made, which, you know, personally, I think is pretty persuasive. I think it's because traditionally marketing hasn't been super revenue focused. Um, so in the past, marketers were responsible for lead generation. They were, you know, responsible for generating leads, which may or may not have been qualified and tossing them over the fence to sales and then sales took them over the finish line. But as content has become more and more ingrained in the sales process and more important to sellers or to sellers and buyers, I think that it's easier now. And, you know, of course, with all of the intelligent tools that we have to tie marketing activity and content back to revenue. And so your marketers are really not a separate team from sales anymore. They're really an extension of your sales team. They're part of that revenue team. And so they're, they're more responsible for revenue than they've ever been. And so you just can't lose them now. Good point. So in other words, the nature, the role of marketing has shifted and changed over the, yeah. how, over, you know, the, the past decade or so, at least, you know, maybe longer than that. And so yes. while maybe previously you can make a stronger argument for let's pull back on marketing. Now it's a little bit harder to make that argument or the argument is harder to justify maybe. Yeah. Well, and marketing is expensive, right? So, I mean, it costs money to produce content. It costs money to promote content, you know, especially with algorithms changing all the time and all of that, you know, organic strategies are getting more difficult. And so, you know, you need, you need to put more budget behind your content. And so I think it feels like a drain on the company until you can actually look at the metrics and see, oh, but this is the return on investment that we're getting from our marketing team. Which obviously is crucial for really making the case that, hey, no, you know, we're, if you're going to cut, this is not the place to do it. How do you use that data to make the strongest possible case to not cut back on marketing? Well, I think a few things. So you need to, I, I, like, I think about what we look at. We look at, you know, our content engagement analytics to say, like, okay, is our content compelling? Is it engaging? Is it giving buyers the information that they need? And that's great. That's fine. You should be looking at that to help inform your content strategy. But I think you can also look at data like number of meetings booked and inbound demo requests. You know, that'll tell you, is your content promotion strategy creating demand? If it is, you don't want to cut it. <laughs> if you know your stage zero to stage two conversions, is the content and the strategy attracting the right audience? Are the leads qualified? Yep. Okay. It is. Check. We need our marketers. Pipeline generated and closed. Is our content and strategy contributing to revenue? Yes. Like our sellers need content to close deals. They need marketing to create content for different, you know, points in the buyer journey. And they need it to be, you know, promoted in a way that makes it easy for buyers to find and consume. You know, if it's contributing to revenue, that's kind of the nail in the coffin for the argument to cut marketing, right? And I mean, you're, you're doing all that stuff anyway, whether the economy is good or bad or, you know, whichever direction it's going, right? So, I mean, right. when the economy does take a downturn, you know, as a marketing leader, how does that affect you? Like, do you change your strategy at all? 
do you are you creating different kinds of content or you know using different strategies or are you pretty much just saying let's keep doing what we're doing you change your strategy so for example right now we're looking at our content and we're saying okay what are you know what are the pieces that are really performing what are the pieces that we know our sellers are relying on what are the pieces that you know are proven to help close deals and we're taking that content and we're we've kind of adopted this you know, create once and then repurpose five to 10 different ways. So if we create a webinar that's wildly popular, you know, how can we turn that into a checklist? How can we turn that into a blog post? How can we turn that into some other type of content that we can promote in another channel and get the same, you know, return on investment from? Because that content is a lot less expensive to produce. Um, It's already proven to work. And so we're kind of doubling down on what we know works and putting our resources where we know we're going to have the most return on investment. So can you give me an example of, you know, a piece of content that that has performed or that you feel like, ah, this is performing particularly well in this economic environment? Yeah. So I will say the type of content that we saw performing really well in 2019 is just not what performs well anymore. The same type of content that was performing well in 2020 and 2021 is performing well now. So early 2020, right when when COVID hit, we started to recognize some patterns in content performance right off the bat. And it was, you know, we had these really long format guides that were super, super popular in the past. And we noticed that the engagement had changed with them. So our buyers were no longer reading them from front to back. They were skimming them. And it wasn't that they were, you know, that just the time, you know, the duration that they spent on them went down. They were visiting every page, but they were clearly skimming. And so we said, okay, what can we do to turn these pieces of content into more interactive, you know, consumable formats for our buyers who now obviously have less time, you know, with all the distractions that 2020 brought. And so we completely revamped our content strategy. We took an interactive content approach and that worked out really, really, really well for us. So by interactive, I mean, you know, maybe the case study is no longer just like a full page, all text. It's got, you know, video testimonial embedded within it. Um, we added buttons for navigation so we could just give them like the highlights on specific topics. And then if they wanted to drill down into to the topic further, they could do that on demand, you know, at their own pace at a later time if they wanted to. But really kind of create this idea of no loose ends from a content perspective and, and put the buyer in the driver's seat of like, this is all the content that you could possibly want, but it doesn't look overwhelming. You can consume it on demand. You can revisit it as many times as you want. And then we, on the back end, could see exactly what they were doing. So we could zero in for our follow-up on, you know, here's a more personalized piece of content, you know, specific to your interests and, and what you showed us that you want to learn more about. Could you tell that they were skimming by, it was like by the amount of time that they were spending on a given page? Yeah. So we can see in our analytics exactly how long they've spent on a page, like down to the user level. So it's not just, oh, this page has been pretty popular. Most people spend a lot of time here. We can see exactly what each buyer is interested in, which I know sounds a little big brother, but I promise it's beneficial (laughs) to everybody. It just creates this more seamless customer journey where the buyer is getting fed exactly the information that they need to make a confident purchase decision. And the seller is able to guide the buyer down the path to purchase in a more efficient way. So yeah, we noticed that, you know, buyers used to spend, you know, two minutes on a page and now they were spending 25 seconds on a page. And it was, you know, the comparing apples to apples to the same piece of content, you know, six months earlier performed much differently than it did in those early days of 2020. This is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's interesting. So you notice that 
people are spending less time on the page, meaning they're most likely skimming where before they were, you know, maybe reading it more carefully. And does it give you any insight into why that may be or like why why did you think that that was happening? Yeah, so this was happening. I mean, when we were seeing these patterns, it was in early, you know, March, April, May 2020. So I think about my experience in early 2020. And I know I had a one and three year old home with me at that time while I was trying to work right. full time because they shut down. <laughs> you know, I don't I didn't. I used to be a person who rode the train and, you know, for up to three hours a day and read books on the train and that time went away. So I started listening to, you know, five minute, 10 minute podcasts on marketing when I had a a chance when I was in the car by myself or, you know, whatever it might be. But just the way that people were consuming content changed because their situations changed, you know, everything had changed. And I think, yeah, I think 2020 was really like a, a, lesson for all marketers on, you know, the importance of agility and flexibility. And, and I think that we were at a a very distinct advantage because we were able to track what our engagement levels look like and, you know, how the, the engagement with our content changed and that helped inform our strategy. What have you noticed, you know, more recently with, with inflation and the economy doing what it's doing? Have you noticed any other interesting patterns along those lines? Yeah, so I actually just read a um, an, a Gartner article the other day that said um, the number one most critical piece of content for buyers in 2022 is value assessments. Like that is the most critical content for them to arrive at a purchase decision. And we're seeing this in our conversations. It's like if the conversation isn't value led, it might end in no decision. You know, it might not even be that you lose to a competitor. It's it's that you're going to just lose to to nobody. You know, they're they're going to be so paralyzed because budgets have shrunk so much that they're just going to say, "Okay, we can't justify this purchase decision." So, uh, conversations have to start and end with value. People don't care what your product does. They don't care, you know, there there's so many products on the market that do the same thing. It's it's what, you know, help me identify my challenge and also help me justify that your product solves my challenge. So what is the value that your product is going to bring to me? Can you quantify that value for me? What is the return on investment that I'm going to get? And I think a lot of people think that that conversation has to start with the sales rep and it doesn't. You can introduce value in your content early. You can put a self-service value assessment on your website where you can help buyers on the website, you know, in a self-service way, pinpoint their challenge and then offer up content based on their results that say, this is how we will specifically help you address that challenge. And this is the return on investment that you're expected to get. Do you have examples of how you and your team have responded to this? Yeah, absolutely. And we do have, so I mentioned we have Value360, which is value calculators, ROI, TCO, real value calculators. So we use value calculators at every stage of the buyer journey. We use them in our demand gen efforts. We use them, you know, our sellers use them to walk you know, people through like TCO comparisons. This is what you'll get from Mediafly versus a competitor. Our customer success reps use them to demonstrate realized value. So when renewal time comes, they can say, well, this is the value that you've gotten from using Mediafly in the last year. But we've also reframed all of our content. We use a methodology called CLOSE, and that is challenge, loss, opportunity, solution, evidence. So that's kind of how we structure all of our content. It's, you know, this is the challenge that you're, we never start with, with our solution. We start with, this is the challenge that we know you're facing. This is what it's costing you. This is the opportunity if you fix that challenge. And this is how the solution will help you fix it. And then this is the evidence. This is how other companies have succeeded doing the same thing. So reframing the narrative really helps people understand the value that you can offer them. Yeah. I mean, I think that speaks to what I think is kind of a basic truth about how people buy things is that 
they don't, at least starting out, they don't really care about you and your particular solution. They care about their mm -hmm. problem and their challenge, and they just need some way to solve it. But it's not like they're thinking, oh, I wonder what, you know, Mediafly, like what's their latest innovation or any company, right? It just, you know, they don't really care. You have to earn, you have to earn their trust and, and find a way to get them to care. And that's when you can exactly. start talking about your products. Exactly. And, and the best way to get them to care in an economic downturn is to, to, to kind of put your money where your mouth is and say, this is, you know, quantify it. Their purchase committees are growing. And their, you know, buying requirements are tightened and their budgets are smaller and it's, you know, they need to make sure and they need to feel confident that they're making the best decision for what they want to do with the minimized budget that they have. And so if you can, you know, you can come in pitching the same product that your competitor is, but you can say, this is the value that we've, that we've proven we offer people, you know, this is the benefit of using our product or solution. And the other company can't say that. I think like the confidence is going to lie with you. So what's your advice for uh, content marketing teams that, you know, feel like, all right, economy's not doing great. We need to prove our worth. We need to sort of protect our, you know, cover our bases, protect ourselves. How do you boil that down? What's your advice? Yeah, so I think, well, we've talked about, you know, the right analytics, tracking things beyond vanity metrics. It's not just, you know, likes and shares and, and oh, this content was popular and, oh, we got these many leads, which aren't always even qualified, right? It's about tracking what matters and how you're contributing to revenue. But I think from my perspective, if the economy tanks and your team is still performing well and you're meeting sales targets, your value is pretty self-explanatory, right? So I think it's more, how do you do that in difficult times? How do you maintain the same quality and quantity of leads coming in? How do you make sure they convert to opportunities? How do you ensure that your content is compelling and personalized enough to help your sellers get buyers over the finish line? So you aren't losing deals to competitors or in times like this, it's more often, you know, losing deals to no decision. And I think that's doing, you know, all of the things that we just talked about, interactive content. I think it's 86% of buyers say they prefer interactive content. So update your content, optimize it, put in interactive formats. I mean, again, that's, it's probably going to take you less resources because the content's already there. So take what you know works and just make it more compelling, more interactive. Um, you know, we talked about the self-service assessments on your website, use that closed methodology, introduce value earlier. So your buyers are bought in to the benefits of your solution early, because that's going to help them build a business case internally. You packed a lot of awesome information into that advice and into this whole interview. So that was just awesome. I really enjoyed it. So how can, if our listeners want to reach out and connect, you know, they might have questions or just want to get to know you, what's the best way to contact you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Jody Katchy, um, J-O-D-I-C-A-C-H-E-Y. Um, and same thing on LinkedIn. Well, Jody, thank you so much. This was really fun. I learned a lot and I really enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely. Me too. Thanks, Jeremy. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-Versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com to learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.